In this era of grave spiritual crisis, it is not enough to simply know about your Catholic faith. That is why we need a Catholic toolbox to equip us with the practical skills necessary to live our Catholic faith to reach our ultimate goal, which is heaven for all eternity. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Join us every Tuesday night at 8pm for the Catholic Toolbox as we hand you the tools to go forth, live the faith and change our modern world today. Live on The Voice of Charity. had spoken from his mouth but on matters of discipline the holy father can make a mistake on matters of discipline the church has made many mistakes in the past for instance maybe selling indulgences was a mistake some argue it is or it isn't but in terms of discipline how we enact the earthly expression or earthly discipline or rules we make mistakes and Many people have been emailing, messaging, calling uh, that were angry many times. And uh, they've asked me, Lord, what is your personal opinion? And um, I thought before we have our guest here tonight, Father John Rizzo, before he tunes in, uh, I'm going to lay out my personal view before we get stuck into this and break down the motor proprio. What I personally think is this is a wrong move by the Holy Father. I don't, I don't like it. I think there was much more to be seen uh, in the good that's coming out of traditional, uh, the traditional movement. I think the server that was sent out three years ago by the Holy Father and some of the responses that we received back, perhaps could, probably were accurate data to collect. Perhaps traditional communities who celebrate the Latin Mass could have been consulted. But it's not something that sits favorably with me. I don't see the necessity. Many cardinals don't see the necessity. Many bishops, many priests don't see the necessity of this decision. But let again, again, the Holy Father is the successor of Peter, and we are bound to obedience, uh, even though we don't like this decision. And thankfully, the the extra the 1962 missile now no longer called the extraordinary form can continue. I think that it's still positive in the sense that if we can work with our bishops, many things won't change. For instance, here in Australia, we hope that, you know, many things won't change. Perhaps in the United States and Europe, things might change in each individual diocese, but obedience is to the Holy See. But to, to, to put my view in a nutshell is simply that I don't agree with these changes at all in any capacity except for Article 3, Norm 1, that says, and I quote, is to determine these groups do not deny the validity and legitimacy of the liturgical reform dictated by the Second Vatican Council and Magisterium Supreme Pontiffs. I think there is a problem in some traditional circles where there is a divisive or, or a... Or a to an extreme traditional attitude. But I don't think because of individuals or a bunch of people that a right needs to be suppressed because I attend the Novus Ordo daily. I met many people who deny that after we finish Mass, you know, come up and see me, you get all these people that see you and talk to you. They say all the time, Pope Francis is not the real Pope. I'm like, well, what are you, what are you saying? <clears throat> um, so really, I, I don't think sometimes where the Holy Father in his letter to the bishops explaining it in the motto proprio, I don't think it's a legitimate reason to cancel, uh, to restrict the right or leave it up to the, to the local bishop. Perhaps th there is some logic, I think, personally, that 
if you allow it to be governed by the local bishop, he can make changes to some of the, the attitudes that sometimes some priests in the US or Europe have taken this document of Samoran Pontificum issued by Benedict and took the liberty to cancel perhaps the local 9.30 a.m. mass and replace it with an extraordinary form or create the vision or deny the Vatican Council at all. Now, whether or not we like the changes or we agree with the changes, we, you have to accept Vatican II as a legitimate authoritative binding council because we're not just bound to, to accept the infallible teaching of the church. The church doesn't err in its matters of faith and morals, but Christ came as a priest, prophet, and king. As a priest, he sanctifies, and we obviously accept all the sacraments validly. As a prophet, he teaches, and the church teaches, and is infallible. And as a king, the third thing, he rules and governs. According to the Code of Canon Law, the church governs. And we need to submit ourselves to all three dimensions. We can't just say we're, well, you know, we don't want to be in communion or go off in schism. So that's my, that's my stance. That's my personal view. And that's the view that's reflected by, I think, majority of tradition of traditional Catholics and people not really, I don't really like using the term traditional Catholics. There's nothing traditional about it. Catholicism is traditional or Catholic, or I'd rather say Catholics who attend the now 1962 Missal, the pre-Vatican II Mass. Um, so really it's it's a tough decision that was taken by the Holy Father. I, I don't see how this will solve the problem of schismatic attitudes. I don't see how how he <clears throat> as a Pope can can see that this will make much change. Hopefully some, some uh, the attitudes of some uh, traditionalists who take it to the extreme <clears throat> to, to actually make it happen and, and allow people to not to fall in schism can take place. But that is my view in a nutshell. So let's go through some of these. Let's go through the first paragraph to open the toolbox of the show before our guest, Father John Rizzo, who's uh, just trying to get in here. I know he's a busy man. And I quote, the Muda Propria starts off with this. Guardians of tradition, the bishops in communion with the Bishop of Rome constitute the visible principle and foundation of the unity of the particular churches. Under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, through the proclamation of the gospel and by means of the celebration of the Eucharist, they govern particular churches entrusted to them. And so the Holy Father goes in to speak about the unity of the bishops. So perhaps, and the reason I've been told a lot of the time is because some people abuse, some priests perhaps, and other people are causing division by abusing their power using Samoran Pontificum. The other conclusion I can make is that there are many people perhaps in Rome, many bishops not a fan of the tradition or not a fan of tradition and perhaps are pushing an agenda which is it goes against uh, the the 1962 missile. And those are the two reasons when I reflect on it and when I prayed about it, when we received this document from the Holy Father, I sat down, uh, I was filled with anger. I was filled with, um, uh, you know, a lot of people were angry and disheartened when they first read this. But these are the two reasons I can logically come up with. You know, when the Holy Father talks about disunity in, in the letter he wrote accompanying this motto proprio, and if you want to access it, you go to vatican.com and you type in um, Traditionis Custodis. Um, which is the latest motto appropriate issued on 16th of July, 2021. So really it's, it's, I think it's very hard to, to come up with a rational reason why, why it had to be restricted as a right because of those two reasons I just spoke about. Like in Australia, for instance, see, you hear about, you, you never hear about this kind of disunity. There's many Latin mass centers in Diocese of Parramatta, 
the Archdiocese of Sydney, uh, Adelaide, Brisbane. And there's no sense of denial of Vatican II, schismatic attitude. So I don't see why it's necessary in light of our recent time. So let's now go in. <clears throat> So article number two says that the it belongs to the diocesan bishop. Let's go in. So it belongs to the diocesan bishop as moderator, promoter, and guardian of the whole liturgical life of the particular church entrusted to him to regulate the liturgical celebrations of his diocese. Therefore, it is his exclusive competence to authorize the use of the 1962. Roman Missal in his diocese according to the guidelines of the Apostolic See. So if we look at the foundation, <clears throat> in 1988, Archbishop Marcel Lefebvre, founder of the Society of St. Pius X, was excommunicated along with the three other bishops which he consecrated. So from then, John Paul II released Ecclesia Dei, a, a muro proprio which, which allowed for the celebration of Latin Mass freely, but using the permission of the bishop. So we're back to where we came from, back to Ecclesia before Samoran Pontificate in 2007, before Benedict XVI took the liberty to release the Latin Mass. And this is where, and that's as, as a result of that, this is why most young people, 98% of young people, like myself, millennials, everywhere in the world, have reported to have, uh, to have some contact, either full-time Latin Mass going, part-time, casual. They have some form of Latin Mass attachment. It is because of the great legacy of our Holy Father, Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI. So basically, Francis has reversed this back to the local ordinary, but this is a time not to be disheartened. This is a time perhaps as... Uh, people who wish to celebrate onto 1962 missile perhaps can see this as an opportunity to develop a relationship with their bishop. And perhaps this was, this was something that was lacking with traditional communities often, that there was a divide, you know, the bishop was sort of someone that, you know, was stopping them. Now you need to rely on your bishop to, to seek approval. And I think there's nothing wrong with building a good relationship with the bishop, as long as it's centered on orthodoxy, Catholic orthodoxy, and some mutual understanding. I'm sure, definitely sure, if every person in their diocese approaches it in a good and charitable way, where you call up your diocese, can I sit with the bishop personally? Can we, can we get a few people to, to petition the bishop and ask respectfully and nicely? Because I, I, I think the impression that our Holy Father has, has gotten is that it's caused some schism, or it's causing schismatic attitudes, and, and that's why it's sort of repressed. And that's not a good thing. I, I think it's quite reasonable that he would assume that on a senior management level in Rome, you know, they can't study every diocese and every place and every situation, but and, and coupled with the possibility that there are some people who maybe aren't traditional minded, don't are not fans of it, that's what led to it. Now, look, I'm it was an absolute privilege to, on my wedding day three three weeks and three days ago to have been able to receive uh, receive the sacrament of marriage within with the extraordinary form of the Roman Rite, and uh, we made the lockdown in Sydney, and we made also the. Uh, Samoran Pontificum lockdown of the Latin Mass. So we're absolutely grateful. A few points I'm going to go through here before Father Rizzo comes live on air um, is article number three, norm two. And I quote, is the bishop is to designate one or more locations where the faithful adherents of the groups may gather for the Eucharistic celebration, not however in parochial churches, without the erection of new personal parishes. That's going to be an interesting one because now not only have we gone back to 
1988 Ecclesia Day, where the bishop has to give you permission, there's an extra step that's been taken that we, we what parochial churches means. Usually it's, it's often known as a church with jurisdiction or a parish, but what that will mean will be debated. It will be studied further. It will be interpreted differently because, dare I say, some of these are not very practical. But I think it's yet to be studied. I don't, I don't think we were to set ourselves in stone and say, oh, this is the parish. Perhaps there's a way to work around it and understand it in light of, um, in light of what can be applied to the situation. I mean, these are uh, people who are getting angry, losing their peace, and it's affecting their spiritual life. Uh, that's what we don't want. And I think many people are coming to conclusions that some of these things are being said, you can't be interpreted and adapted to the local level. They can be. The, ch the church does make exemptions. I think we can't, uh, we shouldn't lose heart in that because it's not going to be practical um, perhaps uh, to have the 1962 mass in a hall if we can't actually have um, if we cannot actually have, if we can't have it in the church, I mean, it's going to be interesting there. So, so really, I think that's something that needs to be interpreted. We wouldn't sit on that just yet for those, but let's go to norm, um, norm six of article three. And that is to take care not to authorize the establishment of new groups. I mean, that's another hit on the face, another, Another, you know, really another strike, I think, additional to what JP2 originally had. It's not just restricting it to the bishop. So we're not sure what new groups means. Could it actually mean a new group in the sense of a new order, a new group of people, a new organisation, a new, a new chaplaincy? We, that's yet to be interpreted. I, I, I I would not jump to make any conclusions at this stage. This is yet to be interpreted. It could be interpreted in any light. Perhaps, you know, we can't start new orders, but that's okay. Maybe we don't need a million orders. Maybe actually having the Fraternity of St. Peter and the Institute across the King are actually a positive thing. You know, we can foster two orders and they can be sort of the go-to for the Latin Mass and whichever diocesan priest has permission. You know, I think it's not such a bad thing. We don't need to have a million Latin mass orders, really. I think it centers, it has some unity in the sense that, you know, this is not a time to be creating too many organizations. So I think that can be a positive thing for us that <clears throat> where it doesn't really affect traditional Catholics or anyone wanting to observe the, um, the 1962 missile. <clears throat> so let's go to article four. So priests who already, sorry, Article 5, priests who already celebrated the Mass of the 1962 Missal need authorization to continue this faculty. So if you already celebrate, you will need authorization. And we're going to go into Article 6, 7, 8, and we're going to study the whole thing holistically when Father John Rizzo comes live. So we're going to take a break now. Shortly, we'll be back with Father John Rizzo, our guest here. So stay tuned here. I'll be back shortly. My name is Father Damon Seifer. I'm a member of the Priestly Fraternity of St. Peter, which is the Latin Mass Order. Our order has been ministering to the faithful in Western Sydney uh, for about 20 years now. But we think it's time for us to find our own place, to be able to build our own church. So we're really encouraging people to make donations, perhaps even dedicated to monthly donations, so that we can forge to take on perhaps a mortgage for this great endeavour. So we would like to, in the long term, build a traditional church for the celebration of the traditional liturgy in the Latin Rite. We would encourage you to think about this, to pray about this, and see if God is calling you to uh, commit to helping us with this great endeavor to build a new church for Western Sydney.
welcome back to another week in the Catholic Toolbox, the art of practical Catholicism. I'm your host and founder, George Manasseh. Here as we review with practical solutions to live your Catholic faith in our modern world of today. We're now joined by audio by Father Rizzo, who's uh, who's with us here. Can you hear us, Father Rizzo? Yes, I can. Thank you, George. The, um, we had some trouble getting you there, I believe. I'm so sorry. I'm rather low tech. I was trying to get on Zoom, but... I don't know what was happening. My apologies. That's okay. I think the devil uh, doesn't want this to happen. (laughs) (laughs) Every time we have technical difficulties, sometimes we blame it on the devil, you know? Yes. Well, why not? He can't complain. Exactly. So, Father, I just introduced our audience to the new Muro Proprio that was released, and I just expressed my personal view is that it is, I believe, is unwarranted for and um, I, I personally disagree with it, but I submit myself to the Holy Father in obedience, as we all do, um, in obviously accepting its, uh, its, the fact that it's in force. So, Father, run us down. This came as a shock to all of us, who, which is most young people, I believe, to say accurately, most young people <laughs> have contact with the, ex, uh, with the Latin Mass. Yes, you know, we weren't expecting this blow. We were expecting maybe some restrictions here and there, uh, but it really came as a blow back to JP2, and it blew us even further with things like the parochial church, the no establishment of new groups um, that you have to apply as a new priest, celebrating the extra reform, you need to apply to the uh, bishop who then applies to the Holy See. Now, anyone who's called a council, (laughs) a local council, might have some trouble getting through them time in a time-related fashion, let alone the Holy See. So this adds a layer of complexity. So, Father, what's your whole take to start off? Uh, to kick well, off George, um, I have to say, you started off with the idea of the virtue of obedience, and we submit ourselves to the Holy Father. But in this particular case, we have to understand the gist of what's happening here. For one thing, he put forth this new mode proprio, while the uh, Pope Emeritus, Pope Benedict XVI, is still alive. Well, as you know, 14 years ago, he put forth a wonderful motu proprio, Samorum Pontificum, that brought forth the Latin Mass on a larger scale. And as Pope Benedict XVI said back in 2007, there was no reason to suppress the Latin Mass. Now, fast forward 14 years later, and we have the present Pope, Francis, suppressing the Latin Mass. To me, it's not a question of obedience. I have to say it's a question of resistance. And for several reasons here, George, obedience is meant to cultivate virtue, to obey a motu proprio that suppresses a beautiful liturgy that, again, was upheld by the previous pontiff. Um, It's not a question of obedience, especially here, too, in that particular, how can you obey this new motu proprio when it says, quote, unquote, the Latin mass cannot be offered in a parochial church. Well, where do you offer Mass? You know, what, what do we do from here, George? Okay, do we all of a sudden, that's, here's uh, the priest. What is a parochial church? Because that's a canonical term that probably they'll look at and they'll reinterpret it. What is a parochial church in blunt terms? It's a parish church. It's a parish church, George. Or a church so basically, the Pope is wanting to suppress the Latin Mass on a large scale, you know, in a parish church. So where do we go? So if a priest wants to say the Latin Mass, does he pull into a drive-thru at a local KFC and say, hey, can I rent your restaurant and say a Latin Mass here? So really, uh, we have to see here the reasoning, or really the lack of reasoning on the part of this Pope. For one thing, what is he doing? Uh, ever since he started his pontificate, he would mock young people who are going to the Latin Mass. He would say to them, right to their face, why do you love this Mass? You, you were born after this Mass. You're too young. And they would simply give the same response. Holy Father, this Mass is very reverent. We want to attend. And, yeah. and George, the running joke in, in yeah. the United States, and the, the running joke is, you know where there's a parish church where there's a Latin Mass because there are prams outside the church. You know, so again, young families who are attracted to the Latin liturgy. Uh, it's, it is a question of resistance, not obedience. Okay, Father, um, we could say that Samorum Pontificum 
allowed the Latin Mass to flourish. And there was a survey done that 98% of young practicing Catholics, sort of like myself, I, I, I like to think so, young millennials, young people, young adults, practice about 98% have some contact with the Latin Mass, either full-time, part-time, because simply the resurgence came when it, when it became available because people naturally gravitated towards it because they didn't grow up yes. with it. They discovered it. It's not a nostalgia. Yes. I believe the Pope, I, I disagree with the Pope respectfully that he described them as rigid or something. That That yes. is true in some cases. I've met I've heard in the United States there are people who are rigid or causing division or causing uh, trying to deny the Second Vatican Council in parish churches where the Latin Mass is. And that's probably logically where the Pope, after this survey, came up with the idea that we should just suppress it, give it back to the local bishop to stop this division, which is legitimate in some cases, but I don't think the response is legitimate. I think the issue is legitimate. George, George like for one thing, I don't know where this survey went. I don't know how many bishops responded to that yeah. survey. But when you stop to think of it, sure, you did have people expressing a disdain for the new liturgy because of the liturgical abuses. They have a right to speak like that. Um, the Holy Father does say that in this, in this new motu proprio that it was a question of disunity. But when you stop to think of it, after 14 years of relative peace in the Catholic Church with the you know, with the exaltation of the Latin Mass, he's the one now causing disunity. The lack of unity is now taking place because of this new motu proprio. George, we have to see it for what it is. And I really wonder, I question the intentions of the Holy Father. This is really something based on his own self-judgment, or really in a self-seeking way, because he never liked the Latin Mass. Okay, yeah. I really think... And when we talk about the division, I, I completely accept Article um, Article Three One, Number One. It's determined that these groups accept Second Vatican Council, which perfectly fine because it's an authoritative council. George, that's always been a given. That's always been a given, George. That's yeah, what's happened for the last. I struggle to see how in Australia and look. Speaking to many priests here, they said, you know. This doesn't apply to us. We've never heard of anyone denying Vatican II. We may disagree with elements of Vatican II, and that's fine, but you have to accept it. Everyone does. The magisterium, everyone does. Um, and, the yeah, I mean, I don't see a problem. No one denies Vatican II. I mean, I really didn't understand where that's coming from. Because you, yeah, you go to any of the apostolates of the fraternity here in Australia, any par parish diocesan and priests celebrating Latin Mass, young you know young priests any priest they all accept vatican I, I really think it's just a given father i think you're really right Correct. but i i don't understand i i see probably in the united states you know divisions happening but can't that be addressed in a different way i really don't oh think george yeah. george that's not happening in the united states I, i've been to quite a few latin mass communities communities and union with rome in the united states no again I really think that the Holy Father has brought forth really a non-existent reason for this particular motu proprio. Or could he be using, I just figured this now, could this be also the fact that the Ecclesia Day communities were built and the Latin Mass out of Ecclesia Day period came to unify the Society of St. Pius X. And obviously this is not going to happen for sure within our lifetimes, so he's given up on the Latin Mass as a source of unity for the society? Well, that's just it. It rather surprises me because, you know, back in the year of the year of mercy, 2016, he gave quite a few freedoms to the Society of St. Pius X, and those were wonderful gestures to bring them along closer in union, you know, with the Catholic Church. But now, as you just said, I believe you're saying this, He's caused a wider gap. There's now a further division by the suppression of the Latin Mass, according to these new principles. Okay. So this is where I think as much as we try to infer what could be the logic behind it, I really do think my two were obviously, look, he's seen some problem, gotten some bad feedback from bishops because it's really reliant upon that survey that was sent out three years ago. We can tell, obviously, some bishops 
in a lot of places aren't a fan of traditional communities. They may have heard one thing bad or had a bad experience or they just have an agenda to get rid of it completely. And I think... That's interesting. You know, George, that's interesting to bring up. Then why doesn't the Holy Father apply it to different regions instead of applying it to the universal church? If If he saw issues among some communities in some dioceses, sure, maybe some sort of remedy, but the remedy is not to suppress the Latin Mass, because again, he's just going to cause a further angst and send more people to the Society of St. Pius X. I, re- I really do think so. The more and more I think about it, the more and more many people reflect on it, even Cardinal Gerhard Muller came out yesterday and said, you don't, out of a few d- divisive people, you don't impose a discipline like this on the universal church because Correct. of a few people. It, it doesn't seem logical. Uh, like, of course, regions is a good idea or maybe come out with conditions to say if you attend a Latin Mass, uh, you, you know, your views have to be questioned or, you know, or, you know, make, make sure people are in check or write a letter to the bishops, make sure people in your diocese don't have a divisive attitude. I think that's a good thing, but really to, to come up with some of these things has shocked a lot of people. And I think really it's actually having a positive effect because the response has absolutely been enormous. I've never seen so many people inquire about the Latin mass, people calling yep. me, people talking to me, people uh, telling me that, People who have never been to a Latin Mass are now looking. Now they want to see where it is. You know, it's sort of That's like... That's right, George. Yes, everyone That's wants right. to talk about it now. You know, George, look at the present Pope and his pontificate, especially with the idea of that adoration of that, you know, Mother Earth statue two years ago or a year ago. Um, you know, the idea of this Pacamama in the hierarchy kneeling before that image the idolatry, objectively speaking, Pope Francis committed a mortal sin in violation of the first commandment. Now, there's a step in terms of disunity, okay? This Pope I think is a martyr. What concerns me is the synod for the Amazon. Or the, the, let's, yes. let's take the German bishops, for example. A local problem that's divisive for the church. Why wasn't that treated with equal force, with equal executive power as this Muda Proprio over a heretical abomination? Like this is this is what's confusing a lot of people. I really think the people maybe maybe might not be the Holy Father, maybe people around him, advisors, but I really do think now they've this will see a lot of people appreciate the Latin Mass. Oh, yes, by all means. And at the same time, start to say, it's going to make people depreciate the Holy Father. That's what's going to happen. I hope it doesn't because this is, uh, we want to raise respect for the Holy Father. And uh, look, there are many... But a depreciation doesn't mean a lack of respect. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying that people will be turned off, so to speak, especially young people. That doesn't mean it's a lack of respect. Look at social media. And what we're proud of is, and many vloggers, many influencers have come out and said, this is not a time to be disheartened. Obviously, it's disheartening, but it's a time to to not approach this in a bad way. We say, oh, we're going to go to the Society of St. Pius Town. We're going to schism. We're going to go all skizzy. Where what we're going to do is we're going to pray. We're going to offer penance. We're going to fast. We're going to approach this in a Christian-like manner. We're of going course. To this that's, well. that's the greater good. And we're going to be together and we're going to be practical about it. We're going to look at the norms and work by the rules as much as we can. If we have to, you know, reinterpret a word or we have to something, we'll work with it, you know. we work with what the Holy Father has given us. and But we will, um, but I really think many more people will be coming to the extraordinary form. When something's sort of suppressed, it, after for like 14 years of, of, of building it up, and you've had generations now, you know, including myself, millennials who've grown up with the extraordinary form, we're not going to give it up. We're not going to give it up handing it down to our children. So I think uh, there's going to be a lot more momentum with this kind of suppression. 
you know, and I think well, you know, there are divisive attitudes among communities. I think that will be cleaned up in a positive way. You know, uh, George, for one thing, I think in a very practical way, at least in Australia and in many parts of the English-speaking world, I would believe, too, a lot of bishops are going to leave this alone and just leave it status quo, so to speak. I think bishops don't want to, like, put this on, on their plate. They have enough to deal with especially with what's happened with COVID lockdowns and everything. And, and you they want to do their best and to pastor and minister to the faithful. Yeah. I think, look, uh, the generosity of um, in Parramatta, generosity in Sydney, generosity in all our diocese, um, and we thank them um, for their generosity. And I yes. really do think that uh, they will respond generously to just letting it continue as usual. Because we, well, that's know, what I already I do see that happening. Yes, I couldn't even understand. No one in in Australia understands what are we talking about with divisive attitude. We all understand the Second Vatican Council. We all understand the Magisterium. We all we all pledge our allegiance to the Holy Father. If we did it, we would scoff at this and say I'm not following, or we'd go off with the Society of Saint Pius X and say this doesn't apply to me. We're in ecclesia supplet, you know, in a state of emergency. You know, whatever this Pope decrees is invalid anyway. We we wouldn't be disheartened. We're disheartened because it is valid. He is the Holy Father. He is the successor of Peter, the Supreme Pontiff, the Vicar of Christ. And as disheartening as it can be, we obey and we say, as the Chalcedonian Fathers said, Roma lacuta est casafenita est. Rome has spoken, the matter is settled. We have that much obedience to the Holy See. But it doesn't mean that it could not have been a wrong decision. That's the beautiful balance that we have in our faith, that we can think in matters of discipline only. Administrative failures happen or wrong decisions happen. We personally disagree. Some people agree. Some, it's people many different schools of thought. But Father, let's get into the three practical tools. What can we do on a practical level in each of our dioceses, wherever we are in the world, what can we do to take action as laity and as a priest? What can we do to sort of keep our 1962 missile going in our mass or help those who would like to start an extra, the 1962 missile in their diocese? What can we do to act? So you're asking me this, is that correct? Yes. Who else, Father? Yeah. <laughs> yep, okay, that's right. Thank you. Uh, George, uh, three things. Yeah, you're right. For the three tools, so to speak, I have to address it to three different vehicles, if you will. One, the first tool, I address the priest, that if they have the opportunity to offer the Latin Mass, to do so, and to do so frequently, and if they don't now do so frequently, I would encourage them to more frequently offer the Latin Mass and give it further exposure to their faithful, obviously after the lockdown. Secondly, then I address the second tool to another vehicle, and that is the faithful. And that's for the faithful to come more regularly to the uh, Latin Mass, uh, likewise, so that, you know, the, so that bishops can see, you know, the, the frequency of how the, how the Latin Mass is so well attended. Thirdly, what I would say to both priests and faithful alike, is to write a letter individually to the Holy Father, not by way of petition, but just simply saying to the Holy Father that I appreciate the Latin Mass. I have a love for its reverence. Holy Father, I have a love for the papacy. I keep you in my prayers, but I'm just expressing to you my love of the traditional liturgy. And just to word it like that, and with the assurance of prayers, you know, uh, to the Vicar of Christ. Unfortunately, this particular Pope, he doesn't like that title, Vicar of Christ. He has asked in the past that that particular title not be used during his pontificate, rather unusual. But anyhow, because he is the Vicar of Christ. So those are the three tools that, that I bring up to you. It's, these are very powerful tools. And I, I was something along those lines. I would actually extend further with a fourth practical tool for everybody. Knock on the door of your bishop or vicar general or whoever work, whoever makes administrative decisions in your diocese. 
knock on the door, write them, give them a call, pick up the phone, find out the chancery number, call the phone, say, look, maybe I can get an appointment, get a few people together, have a chat with them. Many cases, um, they book you in and you can sit down and express your, your need and the spiritual benefit it's had on you. That's what I would do. I would go because it's now handed over to the bishops. So foster that relationship with your bishop. I really think sometimes there's been a bit of the a bit of a gap between uh, some people who do practice according to 962 missile and you know the bishop. This is a good time, a good opportunity to build that relationship and foster that relationship with your bishop. I really am actually optimistic about this. It looks disheartening, but I really think because of this, a good relationship can be forged between the local bishops. Obviously, ones that will be accepting of the right matter. Others, you know, those who won't be, there's not much legroom other than, you know, putting the case forward. This is for us where I think our Lord is testing us, putting us to the test, giving us a loophole and seeing how we can, how we can really cope with this situation. He's really testing us. I think this is a good test for us that if, if it is placed before you that, you know, the mass has been taken away, you need to talk to your bishop, then get, get a committee of a priest and a people together and talk to your bishop, write, but not only write, pick up the phone and call the chancery, express in a respectful way. Perhaps you, you could meet with the bishop, perhaps you could meet with other diocesan staff that can actually um, make the, those decisions and sit down, put the case forward, because I think, there hasn't been many conversations over a table between people who go to the 1962 missile and the mainstream, the ordinary form. I think when there's that bridge, we can probably bridge the gap between the two during this tighter, what I would like to call lockdown. Um, but I think, Father, in the second practical tour, is very, it's very uh, evident of what's actually happening now that people are attending Latin mass more. You know, people are attending it far greater. I think this Sunday, you know, Latin Mass Parish had 1.1 thousand views. You know, it just goes to show that with this, when, when something's under attack, people cherish it more. We purify our attitude. I think our Lord's really, for those who are attached uh, and it helps them spiritually, the 962 missile is purifying our approach, our, our idea that maybe we not become so prideful because we have it and take it for granted. I think this is a time really to build a bridge, build a relationship with your bishop and those groups that Pope Francis calls up. I think he calls us groups. So what do you think of the idea of the groups, uh, the group naming, Father? Well, again, uh, that uh, that rather surprises me, George, because when you read through the motu proprio in its English translation, and you know, I don't know if there's any nuances involved or whatever with the translation, but it seems like the Holy Father has put it forth in a very antagonizing fashion, and in a rather insulting fashion, actually, I have to say. So, so it's going to be hard to really interpret this in the light of charity, George. So. When you read through it thoroughly and, you know, slowly and clearly, it, it, it doesn't really show a very pastoral approach, I have to say. It is something that really gets people's dander up, if I can word it like that. So, and again, to, to, to put it forth by way of those groups or categories, it, it's, it's hard to argue the point that the Holy Father had the universal church's interest at heart. Father, I want to draw your attention to Article 6 and 7 of this uh, Modo Proprio that institutes a consecrated life and societies of apostolic life that were formed under Ecclesia Dei are put under the patronage of the Congregation for Divine Worship and the discipline of the um, sacraments and the Congregation for Institutes a Consecrated Life. So that would basically mean the fraternity of St. Peter and the Institute of Christ, the King, who are part of the Ecclesia Day, now have a new boss in Rome. Does that have any implications for their future? Because I think often well, people said, well, the risk we run is losing a few 
priests that say, you know, Latin Mass in the diocese, but we can always go to the fraternity of St. Peter or Institute of Christ the King. They'll always be there for us. But does, is their future questionable? With um, it's, hard to, it's hard to say because right now this, this motor propio is in its infant stages. We have to see how this develops out, so to speak, um, without any type of history behind it. I would say to give it another three to six months to us to see how this, you know, comes out in a practical way. There are already stories, for example, in the UK of um, the Bishop of the region of Glastonbury suppressing the Latin Mass there. And this was just within hours after the application or after the publication of this motu proprio. But that's so far the only bishop in the UK that's done that, which is unfortunate because in Glastonbury, that's a region known for its a lot of new age and occult practices. So, but I think it's going to maybe galvanize the people, hopefully, and again, to try to um, encourage, you know, to try to still go to Latin Mass. But again, I'm sure over there in the UK, the Society of St. Pius X would be very willing to minister to them. Um, so again, it's hard okay, to answer well, that. I put it might forth. be worth mentioning at this point, you mentioned the Society of St. Pius X. Look, I think it's better to talk about it than nothing. I've heard some people say, uh, and, and I rebuked them quickly to just make that conclusion, but they said, I would just go after the Society of St. Pius X. I will always have the Mass there. What's your view as a former society priest, former fraternity, and now a diocese? What's your advice there, spiritual advice? Well, again, we have to give this time. I certainly encourage the faithful to attend those Masses that have the full approval you know, of the diocese, to, to attend those Latin masses that do enjoy all the full faculties. But again, we have to see how this unfolds, George, that if those Latin masses are being taken away, then you can understand the faithful in their reaction saying, well, gee, I've tried to be faithful to the bishop. The bishop has now removed the approved mass, you know, in union with Rome, but now I have to go elsewhere. You know, you can understand that too, you know, so that, um, Again, it's confusing, and again, it's it's in its infant stages. But also, I do see that a lot of bishops are simply not going to uh, take this on board. They have enough on their plate, George. I really think status quo for a lot of dioceses. For example, over in the United States, the uh, the Bishop of San Francisco has already said, um, we, yes. yeah, that we remain the same, that the Latin masses. Uh, remain the same. I, I really think on a practical level, a lot of bishops are going to do that. Because look, uh, we're in a, a world of turmoil right now. And the, many of the churches are closed and the faithful are disheartened and discouraged. So there's too many issues at hand. And I really think that the idea of the Latin Mass issue will only fall upon those bishops who, who have it in their hearts to get rid of it. Okay, but look, I, I don't see that even practically. I think on a practical level, if that does happen in your diocese, look, I, I personally believe faithful practicing Catholics don't go to the, just the, just to their local parish. They they travel, they pick, they get in their car, they'll drive, you know, 30 minutes to Maternal Heart of Mary Lewisham, they'll drive to Blacktown, they'll drive, uh, I've heard people from Newcastle coming to Sydney for, for a mm -hmm. lot. People will drive. I think we're committed, even for a good parish, whether it's a, a, an oversorter or a Latin mass, people will drive for a good parish that nourishes them, that uh, um, adopts you know, a reverent approach in the oversorter liturgy. I mean, people do that. I really don't think, uh, just because one diocese suppresses it, you can't go into another diocese and attend mass every Sunday. Well, yes. I mean, people do that in a very practical way. You're correct, George. Um, uh, to go back to your question though, about what will the faithful do if the Latin Mass is removed from them, I, I can understand if they're going to want to go to the uh, Society of St. Pius X. And when you start to think of that, again, the Holy Father gave them quite a few liberties or gave them back quite a few faculties during the Year of Mercy that he never removed from them. So uh, obviously there's still some irregularity there with the Society St. Pius X, but really, George, when you stop to think of it, those irregularities seem rather minor compared to the faculties that have been given to them. For example, to hear confessions and to officiate uh, marriages. So, and when they do that, the priest has already 
really is part of a fully functioning parish when you stop to think of it. Yes, and in no way are we promoting the um, Schismatic Act of the Society, but this is just something we've raised. But Father, look, what struck me with this was the fact that it entered immediate force where there was no vacatio legis. There, is no, there, was no, there was no period, <laughs> there was no calling on. Yeah, because that's a good point, George, because when Pope Benedict XVI put out Samoan Pontificum, he publicized it in July of 2014, but said it would come into effect on September 14th. 2014 so um 2007 my apologies 2007 so yes so he gave it like a three-month period so to speak yeah, for its full application yeah. yeah whereas now but you're right as of the feast of our lady of mount carmel this new mode proprio immediately took effect as soon as he publicized it yes and again like i i question why why do you think father is, is there a well, rush? Is there a rush to somewhat suppress the mass, or are there people in I, I, like to? I do see that. Uh, it seems like it seems like the Pope put an immediate lockdown on the Catholic Church when it came to the Latin Mass. And again, why not give it breathing space so that bishops could converse with their priests and their dioceses to come up with a practical approach? But all of a sudden, no, this is it, so to speak. So he put it forth in a very forceful fashion. And again, when you read the terminology, it does come forth in a very harsh and antagonizing way. I, I have to say that, George. That's my observation on this. I am definitely with you, Father. And so, look, I'm just looking at these articles. How are they going to be interpreted? Who's going to be interpreting these? Are they going to be interpreted on a local level? Or will Rome come out with a clarification? Um. I don't know if Rome will come out with the clarification, but they can only be applied on a local level. But in one sense, with this particular new motu proprio, a lot of the power of the bishops is taken away and put back in a centralized location in Rome. And that's very difficult to apply even in and of itself. Whoever came up with the idea in the history of the church that if a priest wanted to say a particular liturgy, that he would have to actually contact Rome for that permission. That's never, ever been done before, George. So, and again, in today's world, I mean, just to have the idea that a, a micromanagement shouldn't have to take place to that degree where the Pope, you know, where here's a priest, even a newly ordained priest, gee, I want to learn to say the Latin Mass. Oh, now I have to apply to Rome. Um, I don't understand that. Whereas a bishop would have the authority that, to give that. Does that give... Let's say a bishop who's not hospitable towards um, his young uh, diocesan priest saying the mass. Does that give the bishop plausible deniability for not granting that permission by having oh, Rome oh, yeah. as, uh, by putting him in between the priest and Rome? Well, that's just it. This new motu proprio certainly disadvantages the priest who desires to say the Latin mass, and again does take that power away from his bishop. How long so again, do you that's what... get these approvals? So if, if Father uh, so-and-so calls the diocese um, tomorrow, I want to start a Latin Mass in my parish and say maybe it doesn't conflict with the parish. I understand Latin. I, and they're going to want to see competencies now. So I guess maybe there could be a, an area we could work on. It's maybe a, actually, I think that's a good thing that the priest can learn and understand what he's saying. And I, I'm sure that's not a problem when a priest wants to start it. But yes. do you see, how long does it really take to get those approvals from Rome? Well, um, that's a very difficult question in one sense. Obviously, in today's age of immediate communication, so to speak, you would think it would only be a matter of a week, is my only conjecture, my only guess. But for those that are, again, against the Latin Mass, and, and again, seeing where all the authority is being given to another you know, congregation, so to speak, and within Rome, uh, that could cause further delays or just simply, yeah, that the priest would have to wait months, perhaps, uh, before getting a final answer. So again, it's, it's hard to answer this right now, George, because this, this motu proprio is, is, is in its infancy. No problem. So my concern is Article 6 and 7, where the Fraternity St. Peter and the Institute of Christ the King will be placed under... Uh, um, 
I mean, they mentioned matters of their own competence, but isn't this a conflict of interest to have the Congregation for Divine Worship Discipline of the Sacraments govern the current use of the 1962 missile since they are not oh. experts and who will be making oper uh, operational decisions about whether or not we can receive communion of the hand because basically once it's put there any questions or amendments they can make to the actual 1962 missile once it's in their hands yes even the idea of just having the readings and the vernacular and all these type of things you know George, it's, it's very difficult. And again, that's where that type of micromanagement takes place that really shouldn't be there. We look over the last 14 years with the work, the good work of Pope Benedict XVI in, you know, in publicizing the Latin Mass. And all of a sudden, it's taken away. But to me, there was a period of peace there, so to speak, that's now turned into a bit of a war. I like the saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And right now, Pope Francis has broken it. So we have to see how this can be fixed. So, and again, it's hard to really bring forth any solid resolve right now until we see how this new motor proprio operates over the next few months. Will there be ramifications if the Latin mass is being suppressed locally by many? I believe so. I I believe so, but I don't see it being suppressed locally. Not in the diocese of Parramatta. And bishops, as you said, will be too great because most of the young people do uh, do attend maybe half half a Latin mass. I, I personally go twice or three times a month. I attend the ordinary form daily. The extra form, there's no conflict there. But really, I really do think there might be, uh, you know, serious repercussions. Uh, if if they are to take a negative approach towards that, but let's more let's get back to the whole point of the Catholic toolbox, uh, the art of practical Catholicism, and we focus here on the salvation of souls. Father, this is this is probably a hard question, and maybe an easy question to answer. But who cares about all these Latin mass? Which right you go to? How does the Latin mass affect our salvation? Well, we have to say in general. And let's take, let's say that there are 21 approved liturgies in the Catholic Church, especially when we consider the Eastern Rite liturgies. So, so George, in terms of putting that question, uh, perhaps if I could word it a little differently, the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass is the perfect prayer this side of heaven, because it's the ongoing act of atonement of our Lord shedding his blood in a mystical way. And it's great to talk about this in the month of July, because this month is is dedicated to the precious blood of our Lord. So uh, we need the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. The words of St. Padre Pio, we can live more without the Son than without the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. Now to apply it particularly to the Latin Mass, and again, young people see this, and there are vocations that flourish in these institutions that are dedicated to the Latin Mass. Um, even religious communities, the, for example, the traditional Carmelites, you know, um, in uh, uh you know down in Delinopin, you know so you know where um so uh in the diocese of Kenya Forbes there were young ladies intensely interested in joining our convent primarily because of the Latin mass so as you're saying so if, if you want to make your question more specific the Latin mass is crucial for people in terms of their salvation could, could we argue, as look, Scott Hahn put it beautifully, that the Latin Mass contains a great lex creden, a lex, um, the lex horondi, which is how the Mass, the ritual, everything, contains great theology, which is the lex credendi. And it, it's basically, lex horondi, lex credendi is practice what you preach. So the liturgy, I think, externally, in an accidental way, contains more prayers, more theology, which if you attend on a regular basis, will make you spiritually more fit to understand the purpose of the Mass, to bring closer to our Lord. But that's not to say you can't do that with the ordinary form, but it's more, I think, clearly seen by the priest facing the other way, by the additional prayers, by the extra theology, because, and when you can, and it, it's supposed to condition your soul. The ritual is not dead. People say, oh, it doesn't matter how you hold your fingers, I had a priest tell me, look, you know, I don't like to be told how high my hands have to be or how low they uh, you know, have to be. I said to him, well, it's not about you. 
You know, it's not about you. It's about you conforming yourself to the liturgy. It's about you disappearing because we want the priest to disappear, his personality. The liturgy is not about our personal expression. It's about the sacrifice and going. And a lot of it is seen a little bit more in the extraordinary form. And, and that will thereby impact your salvation. That's like saying, look, I can go to a gym with, uh, let's say, a fitness class, which is more intense or less intense. Which one will I get fit from? Both of them will get you fit, but what will get you extra, extra buffed or extra shredded? So in that sense, really, it, it does impact. It does impact. The mass you attend uh, every Sunday, perhaps every day or several times a week, does impact your spiritual life, thereby ordered towards your salvation. So that's sort of the argument I like to make, Father. Oh, no, I understand that, George, and it's a beautiful concept, what you're saying. You know, but that applies, as you said, I mean, you can put it forth to the ordinary form of Mass. It depends upon, to the recipient, the one who comes with a great deal of love in one's heart to want to attend the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. Now, as you said, the Latin Mass has a, a great deal more, quote-unquote, substance to it than you would see in the ordinary form liturgy. Uh, both can still be offered with great reverence and respect. They're both, and, as you said, both the sacrifice of the Mass, but one has more accidental grace. Um, it's hard. You can't put a meter on grace, so to speak. You can't measure grace or call it accidental grace. Um, grace comes to the recipient in terms of how receptive the individual is. So no matter where that grace comes from, so to speak, or St. Thomas Aquinas says that um, water that flows through a lead pipe and water that flows through a gold pipe is still water. So, yeah. so it's really up to the recipient in terms of the abundance of grace that one receives. Plus, you have to say for those who go to the ordinary form mass, many of those Catholics have never been to a Latin mass. So that doesn't mean they, they would be, be they would be deprived of any of the graces they need in terms of their salvation. No, so absolutely. one has to look at this in, in terms of a, a bit of an objective scale, but also a very subjective scale as well. Look, I, this is my view that let the numbers talk. What are the numbers of young people attending Latin Mass? Who've seen, I've, I've grown up with both uh, with the ordinary form um, and I gravitate towards the extraordinary form more. What are most people doing? I think, look at the census fidelium. Why are people feeling that they can express the theology of the church through the Latin Mass on a ritual, practical level? Why are they gravitating towards that? I look at the census fidelium. What is the sense of the faithful? And these these are the numbers that are flocking to the 1962 Missal. That's how I see it, Father. That's right. And I don't want this new motto proprio to stem that or to or to impede really that whatsoever. I think we're going to be seeing more 1962 missile sales. We're going to be seeing a greater interest. People who haven't seen it before. The people, let's say this, Father, rest assured, the people like myself, uh, our, a lot of our friends, most young people I know, who already have went to that Mass are not going to be giving it up because of this motto proprio. Their goal oh, for sure. love is only going to grow stronger. That's what I want to see. And that, and that will be a greater good that will come out of it. Raised with the extraordinary form. And not only that, but the additional benefit is that people have woken up to this who've never been here and, and they want to see what the fuss is about. I can report to you that. And I think that's the, there's going to be a greater number of people who will practice. And hopefully in the future, I mean, popes come and go, middle proprios come and go, hopefully... It could be Francis, but, you know, it liberates it more. It makes it a little bit more easier. I think that will be the future. Yes. And again, and the future is in God's hands, isn't it? Divine poverty. Exactly. We it, have it, to see this. And let's face it, too, that this, this Pope has reminded us, either by way of default or whatever, he has reminded us, certainly, that we have a spiritual battle of which we're engaged. Exactly. Absolutely. Thank yeah. you very much, Father. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you. Thank you, and my apologies for the late start and my uh, my lack of attention to Zoom. No problem, Father. Absolutely. It's, it's a pleasure having you here. So, 
Thank you very much for tuning into the Catholic Toolbox, the art of practical Catholicism. Don't forget to go to our website on www.thecatholictoolboxshow.com. Don't forget, download our podcast on wherever you get your podcasts at The Catholic Toolbox. So you'll see our logo there. Download, subscribe, like, and follow us on YouTube and any other platform. Don't forget to get a copy of my book, The Art of Practical Catholicism. Click the link here in the Facebook Live feed or simply go to my website. Uh, to get a copy there. And we'll be praying for everybody during this time. We'll get through it. Have faith in God. If all things are ordered to salvation, our Lord will aid it. So stay tuned here. Until next week, God bless. Take care and take action. In this era of grave spiritual crisis, it is not enough to simply know about your Catholic faith. That is why we need a Catholic toolbox to equip us with the practical skills necessary to live our Catholic faith to reach our ultimate goal, which is heaven for all eternity. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves do what it says. Join us every Tuesday night at 8pm for the Catholic Toolbox as we hand you the tools to go forth, live the faith and change our modern world today. Live on The Voice of Charity. Charity.